Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Thomas Gates. Uh, I am taping this in his home, a few blocks away from my home in Fairfield, Iowa. Uh, and uh, Thomas has a very interesting story, which I actually only heard from a conversation we had in the supermarket one day, and maybe I read something in the paper or something about you having had a near-death experience which resulted in a spiritual awakening and the dawning of healing abilities. Uh, and so we have plenty of time in this interview, and I'd, I'd like to hear the whole story in as much detail as you can dredge up. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's go at it. So... Is that where you where we would want to start? Is with your near death experience? Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Actually, I, tell, I, I can tell you a little background on me. Um, basically, that uh, I never was anyone who thought about that stuff. About I didn't even know what near death experience was when I had it. Mm -hmm. I only found that out um, what maybe five years later when I first told someone about my experience. I, I, I didn't say anything to anyone about it because I didn't think I, there was any reason to talk about it. <clears throat> um, and then one day somebody, it came up, something came up. Actually, when it came up, I was on this uh, this course, and uh, someone... Meditation uh, course? No, Yeah, it was a meditation course, and it was one of the early courses that they had over on um, at Maharishi University. And... Uh, um, I happened to go into the wrong building, for, and there was a lecture going on. And I thought, what is this? And they were talking about quantum physics, mm -hmm. which was, at that point, was the first I'd ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what in the world are they talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so I, I was thinking, oh, I better go. But then I didn't want to make a scene. Uh, and so I just sat there and I listened. And the more I listened, the more I started getting this kind of liveliness, you know. I'm going like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, he just, this, this professor described some little particle that they were theorizing was one of the first elemental particles of creation, you know, one of the first that would occur. Um, that would either occur or, you know, it would be the first or the last, depending on which direction they're going. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and when he, he described this thing, I got really excited and I jumped up out of my chair and I said, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and of course, everybody turns their head and they're looking at me. And I go, "Oops!" <laughs> and I sat back down in my chair. And, and but one of my friends was there, and and went, oh. so later, then I, I let myself out the back room. I got out because I didn't want to talk about anything. And so uh, she said, "What what was that about?" And I said, "Well, do you really want to know?" And she said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, okay, sit down. I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody." And it ended up taking about two hours <laughs> to really go through the whole, all the detail of the whole journey. Mm. And uh, it was a wonderful experience for me, by the way. It's the first time I'd ever really shared it with anyone. Not even my father, who was there when it happened. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it had an effect on her. It was amazing because she had this, like, like a, some kind of healing experience just from hearing the story. You know, these tears started coming in and all kinds of things. And, and I asked her what was going on. But she just, and then after that, she felt um, like this great burden had been lifted off. And she said it was like she just had some fear for a while, in general, about things. And that, that those fears just kind of melted away. And I've had other people that would tell me that after telling the story. And then I realized, well, there's some kind of healing value in telling the story. Now, back then, of course, I didn't know anything about healing or any of that. 
So that that's uh, how I first came to talk about it. So. So how was it that you almost died? Did you get in a car accident or something? Well. Um, I had been very, very sick. Uh, I was a, a musician uh, playing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You know that song, uh, Crossroads? By Eric Clapton? Well, he, or others, it, others he, he played it. it. A lot of people played it. Yeah. Robert Johnson, I think. Right. Uh -huh, right. And, um, but that's, uh, there are two streets in there, Rosedale and oh, um, going down to Riverside. Rosedale. Yeah, Riverside and Rosedale. Yeah. That intersection right there, that's what that's about. Mm. And it's a, uh, Real famous place, but it's known for being a very rough part of town. Right. So I was working as a musician in that area, living in that area, and it was back in 70, probably 1970, somewhere around there. And uh, Playing the drums. Mm -hmm, playing drums in a nightclub there, <clears throat> seven nights a week. And um, uh, there was a lot of drug violence, and violence in general, and a lot of racial strife. Mm -hmm. So this was all going on at that time, and I witnessed a lot of things. And uh, I actually, uh, you know, saw people get getting beat up, and it ended up that somebody got shot, and a policeman got shot and died, and I just got so overwhelmed by all that and stressed out. But I was a nice little country kid, you know, living in the city. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. So I started just getting sick. My health started going downhill, and and I was disillusioned, got depressed, the whole thing. Walked around for two years like that. Mm -hmm. And finally, I just got so sick that uh, I ended up in the hospital. Mm. And they thought it was just a case of appendicitis. But it turns out that once they got in there, uh, they discovered some other complications that had been going on, quite a lot of inflammation. So they had to do exploratory surgery. Mm. And, um, so I got major infection from that. And that things just kept going downhill pretty fast. Mm. And I ended up... Uh, in fact, they walked into the room, the doctors walked into the room at one point and told my father who was sitting over there. Now, you know, they say this, and, and I'm wondering why they're saying it to him. Why don't they say it to me? Then mm -hmm. I realized later, well, I'm unconscious. <laughs> oh, but you heard it. <laughs> to the, I heard every word, yeah. you know, everything was going on. And they, they said, well, we're sorry, we, we've done everything we can. We're, we're not sure he's going to make it. Mm -hmm. Of course, I heard that, and I'm thinking, oh, excuse me? <laughs> I think you're in the wrong room. <laughs> I'm not dying. I was like, I was only what, 22 years old? Just turned 22, and uh, I thought, there's no way I'm dying. This is ridiculous. And then they walked out of the room, and then, then sure enough, in a matter of moments, something started happening. Uh, that uh, was that process. Huh. So what started happening? That was what process? <laughs> <laughs> well, the death process. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So uh, and they were picking up on it. The machine started beeping, and well, it was a little country hospital. Yeah, really back then, and uh, they had stuff there and all that. I don't remember what all they had, the mm. machinery and everything. But it was very not like today. These days, they'd helicopter you into the oh, big man, place. They had everything. Yeah, now they do. But uh, uh, pretty simple thing. But what happened was they said that, mm -hmm. and and I. Um, of course, dismissed that as a possibility. But then uh, something happened. I had been in a, a lot of pain, real severe pain, like um, like I'd never experienced before or since, uh, off the map. Mm -hmm. And even with them drugging me up, you know, I was still there, very intense. And so, just a matter of moments after they had said that and walked out of the room kind of leave my dad with that thought, you know, I guess to kind of digest that, because 
they had done everything, a lot of things they, they were trying to do, and my fever kept going up, and mm -hmm. that was a problem. It was getting really high. They iced me in and everything. Mm -hmm. They do it differently now, but then they actually used ice. So he, uh, this, this started happening, and, and what, what occurred was that all of a sudden, all that pain came to a screeching halt. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody slamming on the brakes, and, and then that got my attention. But I didn't know what was really happening. And I started feeling some sensation down in, in my toes, a little vibration of something. And it kept moving up into my foot and into my ankle and up my legs, past the calf and into the knee, and just slowly, very slowly, gradually. And the, the interesting thing about that is as it occurred, I could see uh, through the sheet, wherever that sensation was, I could see through the sheet. I could see myself, hmm. my body. But what From saw, a vantage point above your body? Uh, no, oh. visually, right there. You know, huh. I'm still in the body. Yeah, but you're lying there with your eyes closed, and yet you're seeing yeah. you know, this mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and uh, what I saw was this like empty shell, mm -hmm. like, a, like a cicada that's molted its shell. It still has its form of the body, but it's empty. So, but even at that point, I didn't know what was going on. It's just really captivating my, my attention. So I, I just, you know, kept going. and. I was just glad I wasn't having pain anymore. You know? yeah. And then it got, like when it got here to my chest area, then then I knew that, oh, I guess I am dying. And at that moment, you know, I had a choice. Like, well, what do I think of that? What do I want to do? And, you know, some people, when that happens, they get very fearful. They're afraid. Uh, for me, I never went to fear ever in this entire experience. Uh, but I think the reason I didn't get afraid, it was my choice was either I can like freak out and try to do something about it and hang on, or I can just let go and go with this process because it was pretty smooth and easy. And I think the reason I chose the latter was because the alternative of going back to the pain I'd been experiencing, I, I was done. I just couldn't go there. So I just let go. And so then it just kept moving up and moving up. And finally, uh, you know, up into my head, and there's a little point right back here. Mm -hmm. There's a little pinpoint spot, and I just went to there, and then I popped out. And everybody has that spot, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, I've touched somebody there one time. Is that time. like the uh, seventh so chakra crown, or right thing, back or? here, uh, right at the little crown, a little bald there. spot on mm -hmm. me? Yeah, 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 right <laughs> at the little bald spot for us guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what bald spot? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so... Where the Jews wear the yarmulkes. Yeah, I guess on, so. Around that spot. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's why. I don't know. Anyway, uh, then I just popped out. And then I was like looking down at my body lying in the bed. And I didn't know what that was. I thought, what is that? Your body. You mean. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what my body was. And I, I'm just right above it looking down. And then I realized, oh, well, that's me. But wait a minute. How can that be me? I, I'm up here looking down at that thing. And boy, you know, I was expanding already. My awareness was expanding. And, and, I, and I thought, and that thing is that tiny little thing, too. It was like a, it started to get a look like a little matchbox. The body. And I'm supposed to crawl back into that little matchbox. Right. There's no way. I can't right. do that. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have a cat that tried to do that. She'd try to get into a little box like this in every which way she Yeah, could. yeah, I used to do that too. Yeah, yeah. They think they're hiding, but you can see. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, that, that was an interesting experience there uh, for that moment. And, and 
You know, if that's as far as I had gotten, and then I ended up back in the body, because some people that's what happens. If, yeah. you know, they get a, a glimpse for a moment, and then they're back in the body. That alone would have been worth the price of admission mm -hmm. for me, because I realized in that moment that, oh wait a minute, I I think maybe nobody really dies, because I knew it just happened. It, yeah. it was true. I I was dying. I had recognized that, and then and I popped out. So that thought occurred to you even at that moment. Mm -hmm. Nobody yeah. really dies. Yeah. yeah, and you'd never sort of pondered that before. So right. Yeah. It was a you know when you're young like that. Yeah. You, you don't think about playing it. the drums and having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You live forever. So anyway, there there I was looking down at that, and uh, I didn't feel like, oh my God, I got to get back. You know, it never never occurred. So I just kind of kept moving, and then I kept moving up further and further, and it, as I did, it looked like looking down at a little dollhouse that has the top mm -hmm. off, and you see the people in the furniture. I could see my dad sitting over in the chair. Mm -hmm. I could see other rooms, too, with other people. Mm -hmm. And I just kept, just kept floating up above that. And finally, that started getting uh, falling into the background. It became less um, present, and, and, and then more was opening up in a bigger way. And so I lost interest mm -hmm. in it. But I still had uh, awareness and perception. Perception, uh, by the way, as you, in the physical body, our, our, our uh, perception is running through the hardware of this body. And so it gets processed a certain way, and we're used to that. We're used to looking at things and seeing things and identifying things the way we do with this machine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, like a, it's like a machine in a way, like a computer. And so, so uh, but as, as you leave the body, you still have the residue of that type of processing for a little while. Mm -hmm. but as you keep moving further and further away, there becomes a new type of perception, a new mechanism for perception, and the old one begins to fall away. So when we're talking about these experiences, people are trying to process it by listening to it right now with the physiology they're used to processing things through. And yet you're trying to describe things that are not perceived that way after a while. So for many years, it, it sort of was a challenge to be able to share this with people. Like, how do you describe this in a way that can be helpful? Yeah. And that's why I do it, by the way. I wouldn't, I was happy not to even talk about it. <laughs> I was fine. I, you know, I was just enjoying whatever. And, uh, but then I saw the value in that. And to me, the whole reason for talking about near-death experience is not about the flashy stuff. There's plenty of that. But it's really about, like, well, what can we take from that and, and use in our life here? Because this is where we do it. This is where everything happens. This is where we evolve. Mm -hmm. Because we don't need uh, this kind of perception once we leave this. We have a different thing happening. And there's not a lot going on. It doesn't have to be. Pretty quiet. <laughs> Once we leave. Yeah, it can yeah. be. Now yeah. some people it depends on what you want to choose. Yeah. You know, for me, I was used to that quiet, silent thing because I grew up out in the woods in the country and you know, and lived out practically a little nature boy. Mm -hmm. And I loved the silence of, of that. And so it was very natural for me to just embrace that that quality of silence. But anyway, so um, I digress there, but uh, where uh, where were we? Okay, so you were expanding up out of your body, and the body, the hospital was looking like a little dollhouse with the people in it. But then, <laughs> then that kind of perception began to fade, and you as you moved further out. But then you didn't really elaborate on what took its place or what was yeah happening then. 
Well, so so then I just kept moving, and then at one point I stopped, and, and there was just uh, there was really nothing. It was in fact everything was just black. So there's not it's not like you were seeing the planet down there or something. No. It was just a blackness. No, I wasn't seeing anything behind me anymore. Right. Uh, only what was before me, and uh, but it was, it was just this black behind you, meaning at, where, where the body was, where, where the body was, everything. Did but it. you were seeing things before you, so there was you were seeing well, something, something in front of yeah, whatever was uh, uh, in my view, and and what was in my view at first was just nothing mm -hmm. but black, like a black backdrop on a stage. Uh, you go to a dance performance, right. and before they anything happens, it's dark, and then all of a sudden the light comes on, and there's something that really stands out. That's the way it was. Uh, but you know, it wasn't dark in a way that fearful. Right. Yeah. I love black. <laughs> I wear it sometimes, <laughs> just to annoy people, <laughs> spiritual people. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and then I just stopped, and, and there wasn't really anything going on. And I had a still had a thought, and the way you, you think. And, and so, my thought was, what now? Because as far as I knew, I'd never done this. I didn't know what to expect or what I was, if I was supposed to do something, you know, never heard of this before. And as soon as I had that thought, something happened. And what happened was some beings appeared. There were like five beings. And if you can imagine like a little choir setting where, you know, they have the stand, people stand on the mm -hmm. little steps. So there are three in the back and then there are two uh, a little bit shorter. Can't get rid of the fourth guy. Uh, a short, a little bit shorter, like that. In front of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, they were like very luminescent, mm -hmm. kind of a glow type, uh, a lot of white to them. Um, no wings. <laughs> <laughs> little children say, "Oh, those were angels." Yeah. So far, I see angels. You know, mm -hmm. they're real, but I haven't ever seen any wings. Mm -hmm. There's an explanation about why people may perceive that as wings. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about that. Okay. Anyway, so they they were there in. Um, they didn't actually speak, but they were communicating to me. And, and what they were saying, I, I always remember these words, is so soothing, was like, don't worry, everything's all right. We're here to help you. We love you. Mm -hmm. We're here to help you, and we love you. And they just kind of kept that looping for me. Yeah. So it was very soothing, and I really felt loved, even though I didn't know who they were. Right. It wasn't like family or anything. And then, um, so that went on for a little bit. And then, then I felt the presence of another being. And so my awareness, I didn't have any body that I could perceive, um, even a subtle body or anything. It was just awareness. And, and my awareness turned the opposite direction. And here was a person, like, right here, just face right here. Not a picture, but a face, uh, gazing at me. And I recognized this one. And the reason I recognized this one was because only 10 days earlier, I had learned how to meditate. Mm. And I had learned TM. And so they were doing, uh, back when I learned it, there was an initiation and a little altar thing, and they're doing all this. And, and there was this picture. And this picture was of Guru Dev, who was basically kind of introduced to him, you know, and Maharishi. Maharishi's master. Yeah, Maharishi's master. And so, um, and by the way, I'm used to talking to people uh, sometimes who ha don't have the tradition uh, of either TM or sometimes even meditation at all. Uh, but everybody can have that experience, and that's why I do what I do, mm -hmm. to help them in that way. So, um, anyway, he, he's there, and I recognize, yeah, he's the guy that was in that picture mm -hmm. when I learned. And I really liked that technique. It was great. You know, I had wonderful experiences within those few days, but I didn't know anything about the tradition, really, other than he, you know, he was Maharishi's guy, and I didn't know much about any of it. So, uh, 
But I felt so relaxed. I was already pretty relaxed, you know. <laughs> but but I felt like really like serene. I could serene. I could let go. If there was going to be any fear, at that point, it was impossible. And he didn't say anything, but he just gazed at me. And I went through all these different experiences of feeling, of emotion. Sometimes it was like a father type thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was like real strength, you know, like a real strong being. And then it was love. and, and uh, But it was like peace, deep, deep peace. And I just, at that point, surrendered. But what happened when I say surrender, it means literally what happened at that moment was that my past disappeared. I couldn't look back at anything because it, it wasn't there and there was no awareness that it had ever been there. So then I began to move. It seemed the sensation of movement and uh, you know I went through this t whole tunnel thing mm -hmm. that people talk about. Saw other souls. Beautiful thing. And, and um, Going through the tunnel themselves? Yeah, some going the way I was going, some going moving the other way. way. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, like crystal-like, beautiful blue glowing quartz-like formations. I didn't know what it, what they were at first, and then I realized, oh, I must. That's what I probably look like. <laughs> so, still some thought process that was occurring. But, uh, but what happened after after Guru Dev? Uh, then, as I began to move forward from that point on through the whole journey, I only had the experience of the present. So, so even though I can talk about it today, as I move through the experience. When I had an experience, I got to experience it in its full glory, whatever it was. And then, as soon as it was done, it was gone. And in place of that was some new experience now that was occurring. So I couldn't compare or judge or, or look back at anything and say, oh man, that was so nice. I wish I could have had that again. Mm. Couldn't do it because it didn't exist. No file. <laughs> right. So. So in that way, I think it, it kept moving me forward and forward, deeper into the experience. And I think that's what Guru Dev, the reason he actually appeared, hmm. was so that I could let go, so that I could keep moving yeah. that way and not get caught somewhere. Because uh, you can. Mm -hmm. If you desire something that is really important for you, has always been there for you, you can have that. You mm -hmm. can create it. Mm -hmm. For me, I wasn't tied up uh, on the thing about heaven or hell or any of that. Um, so I, I didn't bother but I, I you know it wasn't even a thought I just never experienced anything like that uh, some people do you know yeah it's interesting some people say that the the last thought at the time of death the deepest thought mm. determines your next life that's very important and and in your case you, it seems like at this stage anyway you weren't latching on to anything you're keeping your options open <laughs> <laughs> yeah but unconsciously you know, yeah or not conscious spontaneously experiencing yeah. this thing as yeah. it unfolded because like when, when you're only in the present then there of course there's no past right but also there's no future either mm -hmm. so you know you're not projecting and saying oh I'd like to have that and you can do that and you can have that uh, but for me it was just like kept unfolding very innocently and naturally deep silence was within it and there were a lot of different things along the way and I did see that light and I went into it uh, I, there was no hesitation about it. Uh, I, I, I do tell people, you know, they say, well, what should you do when you know you're dying or you're going to? And I say, hmm. I think the most important thing is, is uh, first of all, is just let go. And if you can, just forget about everything you ever thought you knew. Hmm. 
Don't be attached to anything. Just let go. And when you see that light, just go to it. Don't don't even think about it. Because <laughs> some people sometimes they get all caught up and yeah. and, and they might see something else and want to go there. The kind of the don't go there sign, you know, don't go there. <laughs> just go to the light. And you will anyway. It's very natural. And so I was just drawn to that. And at first it was white, but as I got closer, it was more gold. And then right before I went into that gold, um, then um, it was like very exhilarating. I, I felt this exhilaration, and then it was like like at the top of the roller coaster, you're about to go over that big hill. Yeah, <laughs> hair's blowing back. And so I just poof, right into that. And uh, in in the moment that I was in that. It wasn't like looking at gold. It wasn't like looking at something anymore. It was becoming that. Mm. That's all there is. There's nothing to compare. It's just pure gold. Everything is pure gold. You are that too, and that's all you know. Uh, so, and it was a fantastic, very uh, soothing kind of thing. Uh, and then the next thing I know, I'm not that anymore and now I'm moving somehow again but now that it's happened I can't again I can't look back and go whoa dude <laughs> that's nice can I get back there <laughs> I didn't even know what happened hmm. now the reason like I say the reason I can say it now is because after the entire journey and after I'd made it through all this and then uh, when I ended up back in the body <clears throat> um, I had the full memory of everything that had happened right. that's why I could but as you're going through it you were just sort of each moment experiencing it yeah 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 good yeah so um, so then what you went through the gold mm -hmm. and then what happened well the uh, then there was this uh, a new kind of quality of silence mm -hmm. uh, very deep oh here's our visitor <laughs> Kitty. very deep uh, silence that's just ex so expansive you know it was almost like uh, something that had an infinite quality almost unbounded and when I say almost unbounded I, I always kind of had a faint awareness that somewhere along the way there was this like veil of of boundaries somewhere so this you know the world we're in right now you know was like like this like that and here's a little tiny speck of sand and that might be one of us or you know something less than a speck of sand and we're functioning that and then when we expand into this greater picture this little thing now this world becomes like less than a speck of sand in all the possible creation hmm. and that is almost infinite but there is a fine line and I'll get to that hmm. in a minute uh, so the silence was just like it was like being wrapped in a mother's blanket you know this uh, just very everything's perfect sometimes I would just be moving along in this deep like a cocoon you know of silence and then now and then there would be some little something that would begin to get my attention and draw me out a little sparkly thing uh, like that and I would begin to perceive that and then I'd fall back into this little cocoon of silence so I was moving along like that and and then at some point coming out of that very deep deep silence suddenly there was like the dance stage the light comes on and there's an object it just stands out it's right there huge and what it was was a particle uh, I'd never seen this before um, and this is the particle those guys were talking about how they theorize it because I thought how can you see that that's not 
you know, viewable through our general perception, you know. And so is a mathematical calculation somehow. Uh, anyway, so <clears throat> for me, I was, there it was. And what it was was these uh, pyramids. There's one, two, three, four, four pyramids. Here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. And they're all uh, pointed up, these four. They're clear like glass. But are they can, intersecting so as to make a yantra? Or not yet. Just separate? Uh, as, I, as I describe it, you'll yeah. see. Uh, so there were these four perfectly spaced, not touching, hmm. base to base. I see. Uh, and then there was a mirror image of those hmm. that came, the base was here, pointing this way. Hmm. Not touching, but perfectly symmetrical. Uh, and this thing was like slowly turning, rotating, and moving. You know, end over end, very slowly, beautiful. And as it did, all these lines were intersecting, creating formations that were very orderly. Uh, it, it was uh, very enriching to view. So then, and now, by this point, I'm not, I'm not in uh, the same kind of perception where I'm analyzing, I, 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 and I have no questions. I haven't for a long time in that space of that journey. After the light, pretty much. Everything was what just is, and so um, and not, no emotion, uh, just perceiving, and and so then uh, after that, then there was nothing, mm -hmm. absolutely nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean it's like that faint veil I was talking about. I had just somehow must have crossed over that threshold, and at that point now nothing has been created. But I couldn't tell you that. <clears throat> I couldn't tell you that while that was there, because there was no experience when there's nothing. There's no mechanism with which to perceive. But later I realized, because of the contrast, what happened was at some point, then I just emerged across that threshold into the first beginning moments of some conscious awareness. I call it the birth of consciousness, hmm. breath of God. Whatever, you know, there's a lot of names you could give that moment. The most incredible moment ever. <laughs> so in other words, you were, in my life. you were kind of cognizing the fundamental sprouting of creation or yeah. point yeah. of manifestation from mm -hmm. which creation arises. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, and in, the, in that moment, that's when, it's like looking over your shoulder and realizing, you, oh, I, you, know, you know where you've been. Mm -hmm. You didn't know it while you were there, but now you do. Boy, the information that is there at that moment is like all we need. And what it was, in that instant moment there, I realized the who, what, when, where, why, and how of being, of why, why I'm here, and probably why most of us are here, is, you know, I realized that that nothing is the essence of myself and and also of everything that I may perceive, and that the reason that that would happen is so that we can give expression to that which in and of itself has no express value. Something has to happen that will allow that to be known, and the only way we can know it is through that birth of consciousness, and at that moment, then we start creating. So I, I looked at part of, I saw particles beginning to form and shape and things in creation. And I realized in that moment, simultaneously, not empirically, this was all just like that, was that those particles, uh, or that too, 
I'm that, and they're that, and then I, so therefore, you know, it was known too that everything is just that, mm -hmm. and so there's no separation in creation at all. That permeates everything. It supports it, gives rise to it, supports it, sustains it. And by that you mean that <coughs> being or that silence, that that unmanifest, um, what some people call nothing. It's actually something, but it can't be known until something else happens, mm -hmm. and that something else is just the birth of consciousness. Mm -hmm. From that moment on, that's that's where we actually begin mm -hmm. as a conscious being. Long before the human body, I had no idea, by the way, that now at this point that I, there was a, any human body or anything like well, that. Well, some hospital, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. Just, <laughs> and, and boy, I was just like experiencing. It. But at this point. Now I understood everything that I was seeing and perceiving, and I knew that I was creating some reality as well, but not like we think of things a different way. So and so there were moments when um, I could I, my experience was right here somewhere, but simultaneously it could have been light years away. Who knows? You know. I also could be experiencing something here as well. But it wasn't like long, far away. I mean, everything was intertwined and connected. It's like a cloth. And, you know, you may pull on a thread right here, and then the cloth wiggles over here because that thread permeates everything. No matter what thread you pull on, they all connect. Mm. And so it's like a fabric. And I did sometimes see that, that fabric value. Hmm. Physicists talk that way, actually. They talk of, you know, there's that saying, you tickle it over here and it laughs over there. They, ah, they, yeah. they talk of, you know, <laughs> particles being able to, there's something happening here and a corresponding thing happening there as a result, which may be light years apart, mm -hmm. but, you know, so there's no way that there can be any sort of intermediation through conventional level of transmission of, you know, <coughs> some, some radio wave or something going on. But it's just that because both are are grounded in that which is everywhere, they can, mm -hmm. there can be this infinite correlation between them, this simul yeah. simultaneous kind of uh, yeah. Yeah. correlation. Yeah, I love quantum physics. I mean, it just makes total sense to me. Mm. All the other stuff, but that it really does. I mean, because the the interconnectedness of everything. That's what I got from that experience was realizing that the. People talk about the illusion of separation, and uh, it's it's not so much an illusion. It's the we create our reality. What I realized in that experience was that I was creating my reality. I had to because I was like an agent of creation. The moment that there's that birth of consciousness, that's when we start creating, because we want to give we want to know that essence. And unless we create something, we can't give it any value so that we can then know it. So that's what we're doing all the time. And boy, we create, man. <laughs> Look at it. It looks like a candy store out here for a kid. You know? Yeah. There's everything. So. so there's all kinds of questions I could ask you as you go along, but I don't want to derail the, the narrative so we can come back to things. But, sure, um, yeah. Because so, I feel like it would be valuable for you to bring this whole story out mm -hmm. in one chunk and then we can kind of go back mm -hmm. and okay. refer to things. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, so, 
I'm just experiencing things. Uh, there's some subtle sense of movement, but not a lot. And uh, that, you know, everything is perfect. And then there began to be a little movement, and it began to pick up a little speed. And this kept doing that. And there began to be a little more density of things to view, particles and things. Uh, and then at one point, it started really speeding up. And then it ended up like being in a tunnel again, except this tunnel was like very narrow mm -hmm. and winding. Mm -hmm. And I was flying through it really, really fast, and the particles began to look like shards, like glass or something, flying by, various colors of green. There were little pieces of black and, and white, and just like, just flying by. And it was so intense at one point that had I any concept of fear, uh, I probably would have been afraid because, I mean, it was like super intense, kind of fast. And in fact, remember, um, some people maybe will remember this movie called Contact. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> what was her name? Was um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yeah. Well, I saw that movie, uh, you know, this. I saw the movie long after my near-death experience and I'd already known that I'd had one. And then when I saw that, I went, wow, that was exactly like when I was flying back, even though I didn't know I was flying back to anything. And the next thing I know, finally, at the peak of that intensity, I probably couldn't have stood much more, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like suddenly, like, bang, I was thrown back into this body. And my, literally, my head flew back. And my eyes popped open. It probably scared my father <laughs> because, you know, he was thinking, my poor son is dying, you know, and nothing to do. And so my head flew back, and I see something. And uh, it looks like these little glowing worms in a way, like kind of a reddish color, kind of orangey color. And then they, then they settled down, and then I could see this pattern. <clears throat> and I had no idea what it was. And it turns out what it was, was a ceiling tile <laughs> <laughs> in the hospital. Uh -huh. it, the, the funny thing about that is, is like, uh, even to this day, you will still see plenty of those tiles that have that exact same sculpted little thing. It's funny, every time I see one, I go, oh, wow, I remember, this is good. <laughs> so you get some for your house. Yeah, really. Uh, but... But I didn't know what it was. And then, you know, my eyes wandered a little, and I saw something over here. I saw this wall, and then I saw a door, and I saw some equipment and little shiny things. And, and I saw, oh, over here was somebody sitting in a chair. Uh, I didn't know who it was, but I didn't know what any of this was. I, as far as I know, I'd never seen any of this. I'd never been here. I didn't know anything, mm -hmm. except now. I had the full memory of everything I had just experienced. Uh -huh. So I knew what I was. Um, I was okay with that. So I wasn't freaked out by the fact that I didn't have any memory of this. It was like I had no memory of ever having been here before. So in other words, you knew what you were in an absolute sense. You were, you were that unmanifest silence or whatever. Uh, but you didn't know what a table was or right. what, what a exactly. monitor was or so yeah. it's like these objects that yeah, were yeah. indefinable. In, in yeah. yeah, and I was okay with it because I knew that, well, uh, this must be okay because, you know, I, I know, you know, that I, I'm all this anyway. So for some reason, I must have chosen this. And, and I knew 
because um, I began, to, there was some thinking process beginning, and I knew that um, this would be okay. I don't have anything to worry about, and uh, if there's more for me to know about it, then I'm sure I will. Mm -hmm. It was okay. And my dad's over there. He looked very relieved, but he also looked concerned. And in fact, the funny thing was, was, was at one point before I, I realized that I was this, uh, I saw my hand move, and I went like, "Oh, what's that? What is that?" And then I realized, "I'm in this. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this, is, you know, it's a human body. I had no idea. It was very interesting. And uh, so, and I didn't say anything other than at one point." I heard myself speak, and now that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I hear these words come out of my mouth, and I had the thought, "Ooh, how'd I do that? How'd I do that? And how'd I?" <laughs> and the words I said was, "What happened?" Mm -hmm. And and I knew what that meant. And then my father said, "Oh, son, don't you remember? You you were really sick. We thought we were going to leave you there for a while." Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> that didn't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. But when he said the word son, somehow I knew, oh, that's my father. Mm -hmm. But I still don't know him. <laughs> and so I was, okay. Um, and I just was quiet. I was pretty quiet for a while. And I think it, it was a little concerned. Some people were thinking, like, God, you know, maybe he has some brain damage or something. But uh, they did some tests, and it turns out that, you know, it was okay that way. Wasn't, wasn't any problem there. I'm, I'm normal, above average intelligence. I had my some tests done, and then so, um, but I was rewired. There was no question about that, because now I'm processing stuff in a different way. Yeah. So that's that's the, the complete story that we can we can springboard off of. Or that's was, that's was the any... journey back to the body. Yeah. Uh, uh, went out. You came back. Yeah. And and. By the way, my world, as far as I knew, was everything that was in that room. Mm. And sometimes people would say something and then a memory would be there. I mean, I had no idea where that came from. But if someone had said, what's your name, you, you, oh, no. what state are we in, who's the president of the United States, no. you, you probably wouldn't have been able to answer no. those questions uh -huh. at that point. I wouldn't have known what they were or yeah. anything. And uh, so gradually, you know, they just kind of kept talking to me. and. And things, and and sometimes someone would say something, and then I'd I'd have the memory, but it was like someone else's memory almost. Yeah, like, like you knew how to talk. Yeah, you probably knew how to ride a bicycle, play the drums, whatever. But you know, you just kind of yeah. If you put one in front of me, I would probably be able to do it. Yeah, but so that was my world, though that little room, and I didn't know there was anything else beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so, finally, uh, I was in the hospital for a month, and, and um, then I I said, you know, I want to leave. I didn't know. What I was going to do, but I had I wanted to leave because I knew I had to leave to get well. Yeah. You know, and so I made them you know let me leave. They didn't want me to go because they said you know something could happen here. You're too still too. So anyway, they put me in a wheelchair and they're rolling me down the hall. And I'm like, oh. You know, and people walk by and smile. And, say, oh, and then then they they open these doors. It's two doors you know that to open out world. out like that. And my dad rolls me out in the wheelchair, and it was like. Wow! Whoa! Look at all this! Stuff. It was like incredible. It was like there was the sunlight, and it was a spring day, mm -hmm. and, and there was this wall of a building over here, and there were some birds flying by, and the sounds of the birds chirping, and some smells, you know, the fragrances of things, and 
and, and cars and just everything you know that's out here. But for me, it was like I'd never seen this, and it was like almost overwhelming. Huh. And and, I, and then I saw people, and I got real excited because I thought, ah, oh, more of us. There's more of these. <laughs> <laughs> Look, <laughs> this is great. You know, so I was really happy to uh, to to be there. You know, and so. And then they took me home and they, they took care of me at home for a while. And, and memories really started coming back a lot then. So mm. I was okay. Wow. Um, well, we might as well continue the, the sort of the, the, you know, the timeline because I, I can throw, back, throw us into some philosophical questions. But oh, it's yeah, sort of, anything it's, you want to yeah, ask. It's kind of interesting to consider, like, you know, so uh, how. How long was your sort of recuperation period, and, and how did you segue back into a so-called normal life? Um, well, I was pretty weak. Mm -hmm. My body was like, I went in the hospital only weighing about 140 pounds, mm -hmm. and after a month I came back out weighing barely 100. Yeah. So uh, I could not walk very well at all, and um, so uh, I had to regain my strength. Mm -hmm. And also, kind of get used to things. So I was kind of secluded in a way. It was nice. My parents lived at a lake, yeah. and so they had a lake house there. And so uh, I was able to kind of get my feet wet a little bit, <laughs> literally mm -hmm. and figuratively. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it took about a year for me to fully recover to where I could work again. Mm. Um, As a musician? Well, <clears throat> as anything, as I mean, you do know. anything. In fact, my first job after that was working in a Gibson's discount store. Mm -hmm. I'd never done anything like that. <clears throat> so, but I got this job, and my first day at work, you know, I had to be on your feet and to walk. And so my legs froze up, mm -hmm. and they were froze up like so. If you're if you're walking like that, my legs froze at an angle like that, uh -huh. and I couldn't straighten them out. Uh -huh. And so I called, and my wife at that time came and picked me up, took me home, and it took me another three months to recover from that. Mm. Uh, so it was a full year. Mm. Uh, and I didn't at first know that I was a musician. Uh -huh. And someone told me, you play drums. Oh, oh really? Okay. And so I, I started doing that again. The neat thing about that is is that um, everything changed. Like, when I would, like, play drums and, and practice something, and even now, I can get it real fast, mm -hmm. like complex patterns that you have to coordinate your body with. It's a neurological thing, right. and um, and and so the more I did it, the faster I got at being able to process it mm -hmm. and assimilate it and be able to execute it. So you became a better drummer than you had been. <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And I would have great experiences playing drums. I would be sometimes I'd be like literally up above my body, and there there we all are on the stage, and I'm seeing how we're all connected, like almost like these translucent tubes that we're all connected, and I'm feeling their emotions. They're flowing through me. They're feeling mine, and we're all just this one big mm. unified expression of of creativity that's happening. It's very very cool. Yeah. Huh. Did you uh, at this point? ascribe any sort of spiritual connotation to what had happened to you? No. You no. just thought, well, this far out thing happened and I'm kind of learning how to function again, but you didn't sort of think, oh, maybe this is what the 
great saints we're talking about or you know, no, pick up autobiography really, of a yogi or something. I didn't really know much about any of that. Yeah, because you had learned to meditate. You must have had some sort of well, spiritual yeah, what bent happened in order was, to... Then I learned to meditate, and of course, then I was kind of off on my own, and I was recovering from this thing. And it, yeah. it was like uh, quite a while before, you know, my sister Barbara uh, reminded me that I had learned to meditate. So you started meditating again? So maybe? she got my thing checked or whatever, and yeah. I kind of got orientated, uh, uh, reoriented mm -hmm. to it. And boy, I loved it. Mm. I had fabulous experiences in meditating. I loved it. So I really liked it a lot, and I felt like this is good for me. And so uh, then I, I started to seek out others who were meditators too. And so, but my friends and my, you know, my wife at the time, uh, they weren't into that at all. They were into whatever they were into, partying mm -hmm. and doing whatever. And so you had already been married before this crisis yeah. took place. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Okay. I had even forgotten that I was married. I uh -huh. didn't know I was like, right. this is your wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then we gra gradually started, you know, all the memory stuff was yeah. there. But I... Uh, uh, I wasn't the same anymore. Right. I mean, there's no way. I, I'm like, I'm like, a, almost like being a different person. Mm -hmm. Like one life ended, and another one started, and that was hard for them. And yeah. it's that way for many people who have near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. They come back, they're not the same. They're never going to be that same. They may look the same. They may have personality and humor and all these things, but they can't be like you want them to be anymore. Right. And so what happens is sometimes people get uncomfortable. It's like having a, a, a life-threatening disease. You know, sometimes people just don't know. They avoid you because they don't know what to say. Yeah. But but for this, it made them uncomfortable because I didn't really fit in. And but I, I loved them all, and it didn't matter. But I, I gradually started moving away to and I and I started going to meditation courses and things like that. And you weren't telling these people what you had gone through. You were just being. You were just behaving differently. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it was five years before I ever told anybody right. my experience. Because yeah. uh, I didn't know what, that I didn't really had any experience, and there was any reason to tell it huh. at first. But you remembered this whole thing. I mean, you, Oh, I've never forgotten. Yeah, that. yeah. Huh. <laughs> I might forget other things. My wife says, nowadays, but that's always with me. So when you were in that state out there, in the, wherever you were, uh, and, and you had this experience of... Uh, you know, realizing that we all sort of create our own reality. Um, <coughs> that is not to say that, you know, when you say we create our own, own reality, are you meaning a collective we and, and, and sort of the collective uh, the consciousness itself creates its own reality and, and you and I and your wife and the cat and all these things are expressions of that reality? Or are you saying we as individual expressions create our own reality? Well, that's, that's a good, wonderful question uh, because there, if you flip back to that moment, what I call the birth of consciousness, at that moment uh, there was no we or anything in terms of others' individualized consciousness, but I knew that everything that was is that I'm not separate from it, that we are that because this underlying value here, this unexpressed until we start expressing is what everything is the foundation of everything and uh, permeates it so um, only after I ended up back in the body did I realize there are other, that's why I got excited when I saw other human beings oh, wow more more of this so we're all and then I realized oh yes we individual when I say we you know individually we are creating our own reality 
your reality is. We may look at this object, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, that basket, and the reality of that basket, my reality of it is one way, yours may be another way. You may see things that I don't even know exist, that I don't mm -hmm. see. So we're all, you know, creating that. But then there is that unique thing, and we've learned this over years of meditating, the, the quality of collective consciousness. I've seen how powerful that is. Uh, you know, I do groups, and, uh, and I train people, you know, how to, to do some healing work that came from this and all, and we can get into that. Uh, and I see the dynamic of collective consciousness instantaneously. It's a very real thing. So, so yeah, we're individually creating, and then what we individually create all together comes together in a collective way. And sometimes we all agree that certain things are, uh, certain things exist in this particular way. Even though we have the individual aspect, and we may see these subtlety you know, and the differences, but overall we say, okay, yeah, this is. And so we kind of agree on that, and so that exists until we decide to change it collectively. Hmm. And that happens a lot. But, it, you know, something, sometimes people <clears throat> subjectify uh, things to the extent that they, they seem to indicate, uh, seem to imply that, you know, everyone completely creates reality anew, independent of one another. But it seems to me that there is a sort of a universality to creation too. Like we could march everyone who lives in this town through this living room, and you know if they had their perceptual faculties intact, they would all say, "Yeah, that's, there's a basket." Mm -hmm. You know, and some might be colorblind and you know not see it in quite the same tones, and some mm -hmm. might not speak English, and they might have a Spanish word for it. But you know, people are all seeing that object there. So there's there's mm -hmm. sort of an independent, you know, existence yes. to the basket, mm -hmm. right, which. Right. Um, mm -hmm goes beyond our individual coloration of, of the perception of it. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Was there a question? <laughs> it's sort of a question-observation combined. Um, yeah. I'm just sort of kind of kind of trying to counterbalance the yeah. emphasis that people sometimes put on uh, people creating reality. It's like consciousness creates we could yeah. say the universe, mm -hmm. but it's not human consciousness that creates the universe. Consciousness precedes human. Right, exactly. It precedes as it, and it pre just as it precedes basket and it precedes cat. It, yeah, it's more yeah. fundamental mm -hmm. than any of these yeah, things. Yeah. And so it, it seems like there's sort of a kind of a universal, uh, you know, creative force which which cre appears to create the world and all the objects in it. And we as individual perceiving entities or, or you know sense organs of the infinite yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. have our own individual peepholes, yeah. you know, but there's kind of an objective reality that is independent of, it's like the blind man and the elephant. The elephant is what it is, even though one man feels a rope and one man feels like it's like a, a, a wall and yeah, some yeah. says it's like a snake. Or, yeah, or one sees a string on their ass. Yeah, it's, it's like snake. a tree trunk if they feel yeah. the leg. Mm -hmm. there, there's sort of a, 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 an objective structure to things. Yeah. Uh, and we each have our own perspective on that as mm -hmm. yeah. as channels or as as you know yeah. perceptual yeah, yeah. mechanisms. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, because you know I see that you know one dynamic of, of the way that you know we're creating individually, and then there are things that we we see that we don't think of that I created that. You know, normally we don't walk around 
doing that. They might put us away. You yeah. Know? But uh, yeah, so I don't know. In a way, I mean, it's a really good question. I, you know, like what what is and what do we have a hand in creating, and does it exist if we don't have awareness on it? Yeah. Or if a whatever? tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it. Yeah. 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 Or as the saying goes, if a, if a man speaks in the forest and the, there's no woman present, is, is he, he still wrong? Still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I believe my wife says, yeah, of course. <laughs> it, I, you know, it's funny, too, because, I mean, I don't really know the answer to that, really, truthfully. Yeah. But in a way, I think of it like, a, you know, like say you get a, a computer software program, and uh, it has some the graphics and some basic things there. But you get to go in there and move those things around and create new things with it. But it comes as a sort of a template in a way. Mm. Maybe um, somehow that happened that way. Really yeah, it might seem like a little sort of a philosophical sideline to, to even bring this up. But mm. somehow it's been on my mind recently because I've been having some discussions with people yeah. about it. And, and maybe what it boils down to is you know, what you identify as being what you are. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think of yourself as just this individual ent you know, entity and that's it, uh, you know, or do you think of your, or do you know yourself to be something more universal as you experienced during that during that whole thing? You when you were out there experiencing yourself as that, yeah. you weren't Thomas Gates, you know. Right. right. Uh, you were you were that universal reality, kind of mm -hmm. cognizing the mechanics of creation. Yeah. Yeah. But what I realized is that what we can experience. In that way, it's kind of like people say, oh, I just really want to know what it's like on the other side because if I could just knew that, I could probably manage this better, this world here that we live in mm -hmm. and my life and the whole thing. And, uh, of course, my answer to that is like when people say, what's it, what's it like on the other side? I go, I don't know because as far as I can tell, there's only one side, but there are different flavors, like mm -hmm. a coin. There are yeah. two sides of a coin. If you turn it sideways, there's something in the middle, and that unites both of both of them, they're just expressed in a different way. Same coin. Yeah. 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 We're back again with Thomas Gates. Uh, so Thomas, you were talking about how you had come out of the hospital and you were readjusting to life in the world, kind of learning things all over again that yeah. you already knew, yeah. um, and sort of feeling out your relationships with various people, your wife whom you forgot that you had, <laughs> uh, and you know your various relationships and your activities. I, I, don't, I don't recommend you forget who your wife is. She no, does, could, doesn't could, like that. Doesn't be go problematic. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, trying to trying to work again, but um, yeah. you know, having that didn't work out so well the first day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about your your transition back into so-called normalcy. Yeah. Right. Well. Uh, I, as I got stronger, uh, you know, I did start playing uh, professionally again, mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, did that for a while. And um, more and more, uh, the friends and started dropping off, you know, kind of one by one. As I and, and I, like I say, I was going to meditation courses and all, and really immersing myself in that. And, and new friends coming on. And new friends. Yeah. So there was a, this transition that was taking place on that level. New friends coming in more, um, you know, in line with uh, the direction my life seemed to be unfolding in. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and, and I really enjoyed that whole process because I, you know, I didn't know anything about meditation really before that uh, much. Uh, just learned to do it. And, and so I found it very, uh, I, not that I needed validation of my experience, but I found that along the way there were these... Uh, the, the information, the knowledge that was there, I go, oh yeah, I really get it. You know, like when they talk about, well, not 
you know, obviously quantum physics makes total sense to me, but but also some of the the, the Vedic uh, things, you know, you'd hear it, and I, instead of it being like words that I need to digest, it would be like, uh, yeah. Confirmation of what you had already yeah, experienced. It's like, yeah. Know, so, I mean, because the whole thing kind of pertains to being able to inculcate the kind of experience that you had through a means that you would probably not recommend for most people, but <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, it's a, sort of a more uh, do-it-yourself kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had people tell me they say, "Gosh, I wish I could like have a near-death experience." I say, "Whoa, <laughs> be careful yeah. what you wish for," because I mean, you know, it was not pleasant uh, getting to the point of the experience. That was very, very difficult. Yeah. And uh, I don't recommend that. If well, as you know, I mean, there are many ways of invoking a mystical experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of them may nearly kill you and, and, yeah, yeah. and or, you know, or be potentially dangerous. Yeah. And others are more systematic yeah, and wholesome yeah. and perhaps mm -hmm. gradual and, yeah. you know, don't take you faster than you can go and mm -hmm, so on. So mm -hmm. that's the kind that most people would be. Yeah. Uh, and I think people do get in a hurry. Yeah, you know, like I, I remember people talking about going to courses and all that. I've got to be on that course. If I can't go to that course, I'm going to be left behind, or you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, let your life move forward. You know, without that kind of pressure. <laughs> Saw a cartoon yesterday. This guy sitting in Lotus, and his wife come, is, is, has come into the room, and she says, "Can you please be in the moment later?" <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <Just your> natural. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> We're like be in my moment, not yours. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, how did you? So you, you're integrating more. You're playing the drums. You're kind of getting back into the, you know, shifting your circle of friends. Um, and at at what point did the the kind of healing abilities begin to come in? Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I say, uh, I never was really, uh, you know, into all that. I, I'm. I'm not a new age kind of person. I never, in fact, the new age kind of thing. I kind of. You know, yeah. It was amazing that I even learned to meditate. You know, but uh -huh. my sister convinced me to do it. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but uh, what would happen uh, along the way in life after that experience was that th there's there have always been moments where I would have some experience that was very connected to that and related to that. It's like once that that experience has never gone away. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's always some connection to that experience in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I would have some experience where maybe my perception would would suddenly change um, and I would begin to perceive things on a subtler level than normal. Like say, for instance, like if you're looking at a tree, mm -hmm. and normally as we look at that tree out there, we see the bark and, and the branches and the leaves and things like that. but Sometimes it would happen that I would look at it and then I would see a little more detail, a little bit underneath, and sometimes it would be like on a almost like a cellular level. Mm -hmm. You'd see the underlying structure. So in other words, you'd see something view. microscopic that that, uh, that could mm -hmm. actually be seen if you were to put a microscope up to it, or you're talking more about subtle stuff like you'd see the aura of the tree or some such thing. No, not aura. I mean like the structure, like actually mm -hmm. microscopic things. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting 50 feet away from a tree looking at it and all of a sudden you start seeing the cellular structure that really could only be seen you know yeah. under a microscope mm -hmm. yeah hmm. and when like that, your awareness kind of zoomed right. in right and when that happened there would be this this huge silence there might be like noise outside this and that going on but then all of a sudden there would be like a, almost a vacuum mm -hmm. everything goes and there's this dead silence just like in my experience 
So if that would happen, I would know what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> and you just let go. And this would just happen spontaneously, yeah. out of the blue all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. And you'd be having the experience, and then, then maybe it would fall back into the usual thing. But, but whenever it would happen, it would always shift. There would be a shift. And sometimes I would have the experience of this, uh, the light, the, the, that gold light. Uh, to varying degrees. The first time I had it, right after my mother died, um, we had all left. We'd been at the hospital all this time, and then she passed on, and then so we were all tired. And we, my father and my sister uh, and myself, we went back to his house, <clears throat> and we all went into different rooms, and we were just lying down resting uh, because people were coming over later in the day, and so we were resting and. I was kind of half asleep, and all of a sudden, I get that silent thing, and then I feel this warmth, and this gold starts appearing, and it's like being wrapped up in that, like the mother's blanket, you know, mm -hmm. and and I mean, literally, so everything is this pure, beautiful gold, and I felt so loved in that space time, and I realized this is mother. Mm. Came to say hi. Yeah. And, and to let me know that everything's good and I still love you and, you know, I'm here for you. And so I got, I got up and I thought, oh, i got to go tell Barbara and, and Daddy. And so I was walking down the hallway and they had both come out of their room at the same time and we all met in the middle of the hall and I started to tell them this experience and they both had the same experience oh, they'd at all the same it. time. We were all having the, the experience of my mother in that gold way and that, cool. that, it was really amazing. So, um, and things would shift again, like I say. And so finally what happened, uh, one day I was sitting out in the country uh, at a friend's porch, and it was just, I was just sitting there looking at everything. It's a beautiful part of the country. And um, uh, all of a sudden I get this emotion start happening in, in, in my chest, and I felt this sorrow, big welling up of sorrow. And I thought it was unusual. Because I wasn't sorry at that point, and I wasn't sad, and then it just like overwhelmed me, and I started crying, and I was like, it was like witnessing this process, mm -hmm. like, okay, now my body's doing all this stuff, and I'm over here just like watching a show. Yeah, it's going, going on. on. I know that that's emotion. I realize that, and I'm really crying and all that, the tears, and and um, and in that moment, I knew, you know, I could lie down on the ground, and I could just go. Like die? Yeah, I could oh. die. I could. And of course, then I realized, well, they'd find me laying here and wonder what happened, and you know, be a big problem. Were you by yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I, I was thinking like, well, uh, but I I have no reason to desire that. So that kind of went on for a few moments, and and then all of a sudden that stopped. And as I'm gazing out, it was right before evening. Uh, There's still a little bit of light going on uh, out there. All of a sudden, I see this gold. Up, up in the sky, it's like the sky just started turning gold, and it, it got stronger and stronger, and it kept moving down, it kept filtering down, and finally it got into the tree tops. Mm -hmm. And as it touched the trees, the trees became gold also, but they still maintain their form, and the detail of their form, like the leaves and this and that. But but they became luminescent, filled with that gold. Mm -hmm. And so that was permeating and, and filling up everything that it, it touched. And it just kept coming down and coming down. And finally, it came down you know, into my chest. And, at that, and, it, and my body became like that, too. And so I remember distinctly being able to, 
do this. And this is like, you know, no drugs. I don't do drugs. And, I, you know, it's like it wasn't anything like that at all. So, the, you know, I move my hand, flex, and I see that I look kind of like hollow, like back when I had right. left my body, back when I had the near-death experience. My, my hands uh, were, I could see. You see through. the inner workings of your of Well, your body not so much as it, and things? no, it was just like there was this form, uh, this shell in the formation of my body, but as I moved, I could see that it was filled with this gold, like mist, like mm -hmm. air. And so um, that went on for a little bit, and then it kind of backed off, and I just jumped up and thought, I better go home. And I got in my car, and I started driving. But what was happening was that time had shifted back again like it was in the near-death, in that journey. It was only the present. So as I would drive, I might look back in the rearview mirror and not know what, where, what did I do there? I had no idea. <laughs> so in fact, I was driving across town. I, got, I had to drive through downtown Fairfield, Iowa. Oh, you were in Iowa? Okay. Yeah, I had to drive through downtown. And <clears throat> I crossed this intersection there where the four-way stop. And I, I, as I drove through, I happened to look in the rearview mirror, and I had no idea what had just happened. Like, did I stop? And I thought to myself, you know, I should get home. You know, I, I didn't want to hurt anybody. I wasn't yeah. sure what was going on, uh, except I knew this kind of experience. So, so I just drove, uh, and then I got home, and I got in bed. And I stayed in bed for about five days. I uh, never went to sleep that I was aware of. Stayed awake. Just lay there, wide awake. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah. And just be Eating, sitting up. Getting up to no, eat, I don't go think to the I, bathroom. I don't recall. I probably ate a little something, but not much. Mm. Um, um, and so this went on. But every night uh, when, I, at, when the evening would come, even though I'm still awake, there would be this being that was... Uh, became aware of a being that was sitting kind of like what you're sitting like mm -hmm. that uh, exactly in front of me kind of luminescent like mm -hmm. in that journey never said anything I never heard any words or anything like that and I couldn't see its face but even if I look where the face would be I can't see it uh, kind of white luminescent and but I had a sense that there's something that's being said or, or transmitted or given yeah. somehow I had no idea what it was, so I didn't try to figure it out or anything. I just kind of went with it. And that would happen, you know, every day there would be some of that. And then at the end, uh, it kind of wound down. I had a friend that I walked into this restaurant because I had to go somewhere uh, in another town. And uh, I had a rehearsal somewhere for a show. And then I was <laughs> meeting somebody to be interviewed, you know, yeah. for something uh, about my story, you know, and all. And so <clears throat> uh, I was still kind of floating on this nice little cloud. and, and the person says, oh, Thomas, and took my hand. This being? This person. No, this is after. Oh, the, the, the real person. Yeah, after okay. the five days, yeah. then I had to leave and you go do something. I had yeah. to be somewhere. So, and this person takes my hand. Oh, I want to introduce you to someone. And when when they took my hand, it was like, <clears throat> everything kind of got grounded. Huh. And it's good, because I needed that. Yeah. <laughs> had to go somewhere. So, uh, so that happened. And, uh, but then after that, I had to go on a little mini tour and go out and play some concerts. And um, so I was gone for a few days. And then I came back and. Um, oh, good catch. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs>
We'll have to edit that out. That was a good catch. Knocked off a teacup. It's touching the rug a little bit if we want to get some paper. Yeah, why don't you pause that? Oh, okay. Like, I'm not quite finished with what you're saying. So the guy took your hand, you were grounded, you went out on this little mini tour, and I wanted you to sort of pick up from oh. where you left off. And okay. But, but uh, are you going to tell us what all that gold was about? Is that part of the story? Oh, yeah, right. Okay, good. So keep telling this then. Are you ready? Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. So just resume. Okay. So, um, um, so then, the, by the way, the, the, that gold I was experiencing, anytime I experience the gold, it's the same gold as I had gone into in my near-death experience. Right. There's no difference. And what is it? Do you have any idea? Can you tell us what it is? Well, yeah, as we, uh, further into the conversation there, there uh, when we talk about some of this, uh, this healing, what I call healing spiders, okay. um, that, that is part of the essence of that as well. Okay. So it, it's just a part of creation that, you know, does exist that we can draw from, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, for for helping us in in our evolutionary process, mm -hmm. both in uh, you know spiritually and physically. Marshy used to talk about <coughs> celestial perception. He said it was like having golden glasses on. You oh, think really? that's what he was alluding to? Probably. <laughs> in other words, celestial meaning subtle. Said like yeah. you know you can have sort of self-realization. It's like having clear glasses mm -hmm. on, you, no no distortion, no fog. Right. But then that becomes further enhanced, and you begin to perceive the sort of subtle levels of, of you know the senses become refined. Yeah. And it's like having golden glasses yeah. on. Yeah. He, he spoke of everything as having a golden glow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like what you're yeah, talking. Yeah, it's like that. It's almost like if you know, like if you were looking at uh, uh, like a a foggy day, except everything was crystal clear. Mm -hmm. But that fog kind of mist Golden fog. is all gold. Huh. And yet what you perceive becomes very precise and very clear, the detail of things. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so you, were, uh, you, had to go out and you had this experience, you stayed in bed for five days, then you had to come out because you had to go on a little tour. Some guy took your hand, it grounded you. Mm -hmm. And so take it from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Um, then I went out and did the tour, and I, and I came back, but something happened along the way. I was driving, and I started feeling this real intense heat in my hands, mm. like, like the steering wheel was hot, you know, and so I would kind of move, you know, like, hmm. <laughs> so I figured it was some, had something to do with this, you know, because when you get a blast of gold like that, something always comes from it, mm. some new thing. So uh, that was going on, and I came back, and uh, my, my wife now... Um, when I came back to see her, we weren't married at the time, but I came back to see her, and she was uh, limping very badly, and mm -hmm. she couldn't couldn't even walk uh -huh. on on one of her, I can't remember which one it was, but but the ankle, she had injured it, and had been to the doctor and they said it was a tendon injury, and so she was like sitting on the couch, then sitting on the couch, and I sat next to her, and I just she I kind of had her plop her foot up here, and we were just talking, uh, and. Next thing I know, for some reason, I decided to put my hand over her ankle, but I didn't make a big deal about it, you know. Um, and so we're like she's sitting over here, and my hands like, and we're just we're talking, and all of a sudden I start having these experiences of things, and I felt some heat coming out, uh, like a little furnace blowing up mm -hmm. heat. And if I moved my hand a little bit away from that spot on her ankle, it would cool off. I move it back, warm back, back and forth like that. Mm -hmm. So I knew, well, that's, there's a spot right there where that's probably where her injury is. But I still wasn't trying to do anything. I was mm -hmm. just observing. And, and then um, 
The next thing I know, I start seeing some color begin to appear, some violet color. And, and then there was this little particle. It looked like, a, really, if you want to know what it looked like, it looked like an old rusty, crusty spring about that long, that if you had buried it in the ground for 10 years and then you dug it up, what it would look like, pretty corroded, and it still had a couple of sharp bends on it. And I knew, well, that's not really part of her physiology. I don't know what it is, but so. But I didn't think to do anything with it. I was just observing. And you were seeing this in, kind of in your mind's yeah. eye, or actually there no, where the ankle was? No, it was like having a, a like a dual screen because I'm talking to her too. Yeah. And so having that conversation and this going on in the background. Okay. And uh, so then that thing, when the violet got stronger, and then all of a sudden that little particle just started crumbling hmm. and falling apart and then rinsing away like water on sand, you know, the mm -hmm. sand rinsing, rinsing away. And then it was gone, and then there was this like soft, cool blue, kind of like a soft, white, ice, cool blue. And there was no more heat either. Uh, and all the redness that had been around there, there was a red color earlier that had gone away. And so that, that all happened during the course of the conversation, and then it was gone, and I figured, well, oh, okay, whatever. I guess that's it. So then I moved my hand, and she had to go to the bathroom. So she got up, and she actually walked and put pressure on and walked, and there was absolutely no more pain. It was done. Hmm. It was gone. That was the end of that story. You didn't have to go back to the doctor or anything. Never had trouble with it again. Cool. So that was my first experience with any kind of, quote, you know, healing type thing. Um, and I still didn't know what, it really, what had really happened there. But then, uh, you know, somebody had a shoulder thing, and I said, well, you know, this might help, whatever. And I would just observe. I never tried to change anything, uh, fix anything at all. I was just observing, which is what I did as a child, mm -hmm. you know, in the woods. I just observed a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think it's why it unfolded uh, that way. So that was my very first experience with it. And, and like I say, then gradually we'd do some more things with different people. It was just kind of coming, and I was kind of paying attention. Never knowing that anything was really going to come out of that. I never intended to go out and do anything with that. It just was there. But more and more, I started becoming, uh, I started understanding what these colors would do. You see them enough in certain situations, you realize, oh, well, that one tends to do this, this color. More colors started to come. Gradually, there became a, a blue color, like an electric cobalt blue. Beautiful. And when you say these colors, you mean you, if you looked at somebody, you would see a color here? Or yeah, there somewhere or within the physiology. But when I see it, it's not like, okay, I see your, the, the gross body, and then here's this color. It's like, uh, sometimes it's literally like being inside and, and viewing like that. Like that movie, what was that movie? Raquel Welsh was in there. Incredible Voyage. Yeah, incredible. They went into the body. Literally, you would. I sometimes see aspects of organs. I've been From inside within. heart chambers hmm. and, and the brain and, and hmm. things like that. But I'm not. Are you sitting there with it. your eyes closed, having this experience of the yeah. person, or are you kind of look actually looking at them? No, when I'm doing a session, uh, you know, I specifically decide. Okay, I'm going to sit with this yeah. person and do that because uh, I think it would, you know, be a little disoriented to be walking around in regular All daylight. Day you got things to do. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you did a little session with me before this. I laid down for about 15 minutes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, I had my eyes closed so I wasn't watching you but I guess you had your eyes closed too, yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. And um, 
you you mentioned afterwards that you had seen something here in my neck, and and that would be my major complaint at this point because my neck gets really sore from sitting at the computer. I need to right, I need right. to switch my mouse to the other side and get used to using uh -huh. it with my left hand. Then probably this side will hurt. But uh, yeah. so, what was your actual experience uh, that enabled you to see that? Uh -huh. Well, uh, we we hadn't talked about it. I didn't know anything. No, about I didn't. That. I hadn't and, mentioned it. Uh, but you were lying down, and and I just start treating, and I kind of you know my I, I'd gotten used to him. the way it came was my hand is usually kind of up like that. This one's this way, and I close my eyes. And uh, but now I can treat people. I don't really have to use the hand that way. But mm -hmm. uh, what happened was we began to settle. Both of us mm -hmm. began to settle into a very uh, quiet state, mm -hmm. very quickly, very rapidly. In fact, where what's happening is there are changes going on in the brainwave function. Begin to drop into more of a of what they call a waking delta state. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this for a long time, but I've recently been doing some study on research that's being done, and I see the direct correlation. That's obviously what's happening. That's when your body becomes um, uh, very efficient at accessing its natural healing processes, mm -hmm. and so when 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 that happens, then these uh, what I call artifacts—they're remnants of trauma that reside in subtle layers of physiology, sometimes they begin to appear. And as they appear, it's because they're being released. I, and I'm not trying to look for anything to change, like I say, but when they appear, it's they're, they're dissipating, they're leaving. But you'll see colors with it, too, for certain things. There'll be some color there, and it just does what it does. It's creating a, a very powerful space of coherence is what's happening. So in the case of my neck, you saw some color or something? <clears throat> yeah, there was some of this uh, blue. But also I saw a, uh, it was around in the spine. Mm -hmm. This artifact was kind of angled in, and like if this is your spine in the neck, and this, this little artifact, it was like a little stick mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, sticking here. And then it was in, totally encased by that blue. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a deep, rich blue that usually has to do with the more dense aspects of physiology. Mm -hmm. Violet will be the, the softer aspects of physiology as well as the emotions. Uh, the gold, that very gold light, which did actually appear in your chest area there, mm -hmm. which is really nice. It's very nice. Well, very what does gold. that signify? A couple of things. Uh, gold is sort of like the mother of all the spectrums, from what I can tell, mm -hmm. because it's that same gold that it was in the near-death experience. Um, it, it, it's very powerful in terms of creating a lot of coherence. And when the coherence is there, then the body begins to kind of adjust itself in ways where it can release some of the stresses that have become more concrete. Mm -hmm. And they become a part of your body's natural structural function. Right. But they're just stresses, basically. Emotions. The remnants of emotion emotion, the remnants of trauma, and they become embedded and they begin to influence the way things are. And somehow, sometimes you'll come up with disease and things like that and uh, various things. So <clears throat> the gold is also uh, a sort of a reflection. Uh, I don't always see it in everyone I treat, is, is especially maybe the first time. But I do happen to notice it in people that have been meditating a long time. It seems to be present much quicker. And it, it, so it's an indication of a quality of coherence that has been cultivated already. And this just helps kind of ramp that up. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you see angels sometimes. Even now you do? Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Con con commonly walking down the street, there's an angel? Or, or, you know, what's Not so much that way, but I have seen them here in Fairfield, uh -huh. downtown. 
I'll tell you a funny one. Okay. One time I was driving across town. I think I was driving. He's walking or driving. And I happen to look up, and there's a building over there that has a big spire on yeah. it. Kind of blue thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, on the square? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I know which one. Yeah, and it has a little bit of gold on the top mm-hmm. of it. And I was just going, and I happened to notice, and it's not like, like if I look at something, I, it's not like I can concentrate and see. It's just I, I, I caught a glimpse of it, and there was this really big angel kind of hanging out up there at the huh. top, looking around town. And, <laughs> and I just laughed because I, thought, and, cause I have seen them around here. But usually when I see um, these, uh, I can tell they're angels because of a couple of reasons. Uh, there, there are some that I call healing angels, mm-hmm. and they sometimes when I'm treating someone, I become aware of their presence. They sort of get in on on, on the healing to help out or something. Yeah, they they're doing things. I don't know what they do. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they're standing very close to the person. Yeah. Sometimes I have seen their hands like that mm-hmm. with the person, and I just I don't know. I don't have any idea what they're doing. Uh, I know it's positive. It's very good, yeah. and um, I just observe. And, but one thing th- about them is that, again, I, I can never see their faces. Oh, really? Some of them are kind of, they're all tall. Uh-huh. Some of them are really, really tall. But like the ones, 50 feet or something? There or? are those, yeah. yeah. But the ones that come during healing sessions uh, when they do appear uh, are probably, mm, they might be like 8 to 10 feet, hmm. something like that. But it, it's different than... Um, they, they don't have wings, and there's more an identifying factor. There is a form, but there, there is a, like a fabric. It's like if you took a piece of a burlap and you see those weaves in there. We were talking about that earlier. There is that form of that. There's fabric that. of, they're made of a fabric, you mean? Or their skin is a fabric? Mm-hmm. Or what are you saying about that? Part of the, they're part of that fabric, oh. I guess. Huh. They, and it appears I can see some of that fabric. So why do you suppose you can't see faces? Well, I don't know, other than I guess I'm just not meant to. But you see, like, arms and legs and torsos? And sometimes that form is there. Huh. Yeah. Other t- but, yeah, sometimes it's very, very clear. And sometimes there's, a, uh, there's, this, there's one that's re- uh, a lot taller than those, basically, and it just watches. It kind of stands around, but it's not right next to the person. During it, healing? Yeah, and it might be, or in a talk sometimes. When and that I, one comes yeah, mm, frequently? Yeah, when I'm doing workshops. Uh-huh. They're they're around a lot. Huh. Are there any here? Everybody right now? has them. There probably are. But you're because not when I'm talking right about it, well, I'm not focused. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in that way, it, it happens. But sometimes there's one that stands over, kind of in the corner, mm-hmm. just observing. And then sometimes I might come to a person in the workshop that they may say something, and we're engaged there in mm-hmm. a conversation. And what happens is sometimes they're releasing some stress, some emotional thing the that's person. coming up. Yeah, yeah, maybe there's something that I can see that's happening. Mm-hmm. And they may say a couple of words or something, and then this angel here can instantaneously be right there. Mm-hmm. So it's not like walking over and right. being right behind the person, but it's just like that. To One help second the person. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're uh, very, they're, they're a lot of them. Yeah. I don't think of them so much. I mean, it's very pleasant uh, mm-hmm. when I do become aware that they're there, and they're probably there when I'm not even aware of it. Huh. I had one experience of that nature, maybe more, but the one that I can really remember, I was 
at a Catholic university in New York State someplace giving a TM lecture one time. And it was sort of a, it was for a lecture I was giving for people who were already meditating. And there was a snowstorm or something. Only like two people showed up. <laughs> and there was one person sitting on this side over here and one person sitting on this side over here. And I was kind of going back and forth talking to the yeah. two people like this. And, and all of a sudden, as I was talking to this person, I felt like somebody else had come in the room. There was like this really powerful presence of somebody having come in the room. And I looked to the center, and there was like this glowing ball there. And I couldn't distinguish any sort of anthropomorphic features. It was just like this glowing ball, but it was very conscious. And it was like, I, I saw it, it saw me, and there was this, like this meeting yeah. of the minds kind of thing, like, hi, you know. <laughs> and I just kind of went out with my lecture, but... It was it was cool. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah because you know uh, it's nice that you had uh, uh, some some level of uh, sense of communication in some way. Because uh, when I'm, and I'm doing this work, uh, when the angels are present there, it's like, as far as I can tell, they're there for that person that yeah. I'm treating. They, you know, they're fine. I'm fine. They don't, you know, they, I don't. There's no communication. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like. It's almost like I'm not even there. You know, it's like they're very intent. It's like that's all they do. Huh. That's their whole purpose. Yeah, they don't have to think or anything. They're, They're present for for that, and it's, yeah. you just let them be. I don't have any desire, you know. Even though I can't see their faces, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. Yeah, it's like. Do you feel like has this um, healing function of yours, this healing activity, really become your primary? Yeah, focus. You know, at some point, um, I kept getting asked to give talks and do things, and I would do these group uh, group uh, healing sessions and. Uh, it just got more and more and more, and so I used to do concerts during uh, during a per, uh, particular season. Every year we yeah. had a concert season with this band you're playing. Yeah, and, and so uh, it got more and more difficult to try to balance those things. And I finally realized at one point, well, I can either do this or not, mm -hmm. and it seems it's drawing me there to do it. So I'll just do that. So I quit, you know, doing the concerts, and <clears throat> I just would go out and do this and every time I'd go it's like it would open up more and more and people really seem to to benefit from it and, and want it more and more uh, so I just kinda went along with it that yeah. way and now I do it um, this is all I, I do I do play now and then just for fun but kinda like Bono trying to be in U2 and do all of his humanitarian work at the yeah. same time it really stretches him thin but I think yeah. being in U2 helps him do that <laughs> yeah it certainly does yeah that doesn't hurt <laughs> And he has the the, the notoriety that, that yeah. makes it easy for him to yeah. do great things. So, um, do do people come to you? Do you go to them? Do you do it over the phone? Um, all of the above. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. Um, you need to be there when in I the first started physical presence in order no, to. No, really when I first started doing it, that it was that way, just mm -hmm. because I didn't really know what was happening. And then one day, my sister uh, was in North Carolina, and she called me. She said, "Well." can you uh, do this long distance? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, like, I'm here, you're there. Is there a way that you can do this? I said, I don't know. I never thought of it. But then, now that you mention it, since I know that there's no separation in creation, it probably would work. So she was on her little phone, uh, little speaker phones there, and I started treating, so we actually stayed on the phone during mm -hmm. the time. And I was noticed, I saw everything just like I would if she were in front of me, and I would ask her questions about certain things, and she'd verify that, yeah, indeed. And um, um, so, but then after a while, once I started doing that, I treat people all over the world, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I have somebody in Russia uh, who I'm treating right now, too. 
But yeah, uh, I don't. We don't have to be on the phone during the sessions. So we might talk, like just for a couple of minutes before, mm -hmm. and then we get off the phone. Person goes and lies down. lying down, and then I treat them. And then at the end, we'll talk again a little bit about experiences of what I noticed and also what their experience was. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that always happens in these sessions, they're about an hour long, is that people will settle down very, very quickly into that space of where it's very, they get to experience that more unbounded quality of being that transcends the physical boundaries of the body. So that starts melting away and, and they're just present in this deep, rich silence. Sometimes people, looks like to the average person who might walk by, say, oh, that person's asleep because their breathing pattern changes mm. and they go into that delta state. Um, and so that's when the body's really doing the work, you know, itself. And, uh, but the only difference is at the end I say, well, it looks like maybe you uh, had a little sleep there. How, how was that? Oh, no, I, I didn't sleep. No, I, I was awake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they might even be snoring. Mm -hmm. And yet they're aware. They don't lose the awareness. Awareness is maintained, yeah. They're floating along that fine line where if you just transcended that, then there's no experience. Mm -hmm. But right here, and this is where the information becomes available. Mm. So one of the things in the research has indicated that there's delta brainwave function and there's something called waking delta. Mm. And children, up until about the age of five, predominantly have waking delta. Mm. And that's why they know things yeah. <laughs> that adults don't seem to know mm. or perceive. So what that does is it, in, it uh, the research has indicated that there is information available that is not available to the conscious thinking mind mm -hmm. and through the other brainwave functions. So this allows that information that's important for the body to utilize. And sometimes that's why I can be treating someone and maybe I'll see these things that normally you wouldn't be able to see. Uh, and also there sometimes instead of some artifact in the body that I may notice these remnants of trauma, sometimes I actually see an event, an image, like a, either a picture or a little movie of some event that has obviously occurred in that person's life that has to do with a particular stress that they're complaining about now today. So it turns out that some of these emotions that occur in trauma uh, remain embedded in subtle aspects of physiology and maybe many years later they begin to manifest in a more outward way. Hoping that, you know, we're hoping, consciousness saying, please do something mm. about this. Have you ever had any really <clears throat> dramatic um, healing things like somebody on death's door from terminal cancer or, you know, a broken bone or anything like really radical like that and you've actually been able to heal it? Uh, well, that very first thing was, was like the, the uh, tendon, whatever it was. It was Lynn, like, yeah, Lynn, yeah, 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 Lynn's, Lynn's ankle. I mean, that completely instantaneously. Yeah, uh, that was a fairly physical yeah. trauma. And then um, there have been a number of cases. Uh, let's see, there was one, um, a lady with emphysema, mm -hmm. had it for 42 years mm -hmm. at that point. I didn't know had it. Had been a smoker or something? Or her husband had. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, secondhand smoke. Yeah. And, and uh, anyway, she came to a group session mm -hmm. that uh, every now and then I would do one and people would invite people over and they'd come. And I didn't know anything about her. I just, she was just sitting in the chair. And so I'm going through the group and treat each person a little bit. And I notice uh, as I'm going that there was this rigid kind of very compressed, dense uh, view of 
her chest and side, and then I even saw some of the rib cage very constricted, mm -hmm. and I saw some dark stuff. It's just unusual. So I asked her after the, that round of doing that in the group, um, I said, do you, do you have some kind of problem in this area here? Because I noticed this. And she, said, she laughed. She said, oh, yeah, I've had emphysema for 42 years. Well, it turns out that um, she had to use a nebulizer every day. She mm -hmm. always had to have that with her to help her breathe in case, you know. So this is a physical, structural thing. The, um, the, uh, the bronchioles are supported by the, uh, the alveolar walls. When the alveolar walls are uh, destroyed through that disease, then there's nothing to support the bronchioles and they collapse sometimes. Mm. And you have to get air in there or you die. So that was her situation. And uh, so the interesting thing about her was I thought, well, good, you know, uh, she, I got uh, a call from the friend who brought her uh, a couple of days later and she said, well, you know, after she left, she didn't have to use her nebulizer that evening. Um, and then, uh, so that was a good positive thing. And then uh, a couple of days later, again, another phone call. Well, she went to her choir practice, and this time, normally they can't hear her, but she likes to participate. Mm -hmm. So then uh, uh, she was able to sing, and they actually heard her sing mm -hmm. in the group. And the coolest thing was that she didn't have to use her nebulizer. Mm -hmm. That was unheard of for her. Then a month later, I got a letter from the woman herself, and she said that she had gone to her doctors for her monthly checkup. It goes every month. And they said, uh, they came back after the test and said, well, we don't know how to explain this, but somehow your breathing uh, capacity, your lung capacity has dramatically increased. Hmm. And they said, well, it's not possible, basically. But somehow it is. And she said, oh. Uh, so they, they said, but what have you done? I mean, you know, is there anything on you? Are you taking anything? You know, because they were real curious why this can happen. Because it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. And so uh, she said, "Well, uh, I, my friend took me to this guy, and you know, he did this thing like that, and all." And they go, "Oh, okay." So they write down on their form, and what they wrote on there was like, uh, "But he's a nut uh, faith healer." Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I went faith healer. Is that a category those guys have? <laughs> they can't explain something. They call it like uh, faith healer. So I laughed and I told her, I said, oh, we should get a big tent and take it on the road. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool because she, I never treated her uh, individually. As right, you just did the group thing. Yeah, and, um, and she came to some of my other group things afterwards, but always I said, how you doing? She said, great, fine. Yeah. Yeah. So she really it improved the quality of her life dramatically, you can imagine. Um, and yet... When we did this, you know, I, I wasn't doing anything, you know, trying to fix anything or change anything. Like yeah. So we had that. We've had some uh, uh, fibroid tumors um, and uh, thyroid things. It seems to work really well with mm -hmm. that. Bronchial distresses for sure. Uh, um, let's see, who else? Back. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are a number of cases uh, like that where something has been chronic for a long time, and then within a matter, either almost immediately or within some few days, uh, they just stop noticing it's there. Hmm. And what I find very interesting about that is sometimes I might treat somebody, and then they come in with something that's very, like, really been bothering them a long time. Then they, uh, I might not see them for a long time, and then when I do, I say, oh, you know, how's that? You remember you had this... Uh, this knee problem, some cartilage or something. Uh, they said, no, no, I didn't. 
I didn't, I didn't have that. What are you totally talking about? Totally forgot it. I said, yeah, you know, you can barely walk. But. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, I kind of vaguely remember something about that. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. So it makes sense to me because what these artifacts do is that they hold a space for a certain type of functioning. And when they're not there anymore, there's no need for a memory of it to be there. It dissipates. The yeah, memory dissipates along with right. it, Right, interesting. So that's I should send my wife in. She has chronic lung problems, and she suspects she might have some kind of thyroid thing, too. Yeah. I had a lady who had thyroid uh, problem where there were these little fibroid tumors mm. near near there, and they were deciding, the doctors were trying to decide what to do. Uh, so she came to me, and I treated her a few times, maybe three times, and then when she went back for a test, they had shrunken to mm. a certain point that they didn't, didn't really need to do anything with that. So we've seen that. The cancer question, a very complex yeah. disease. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion involved, and I know where most of that hangs out in the body, no matter where the cancer is. I always go to this particular area here. People with bronchial problems and all that, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, types of uh, unique stresses that are uh, um, um, have to do with, with that. But mostly this area here has to do with, uh, oops, frightful, fearful experiences. People who have a lot of fear, they will have a lot of these artifacts mm. that congest in here, and sometimes they'll have some congestion, mm. things like that. And you often see cancer in such people? Uh, no, it wasn't really quite in that. I was going to say about the cancer thing, uh, being complex, that mm. uh, um, they may have cancer in some other part of their body, but, but you always have to go there because these things have to unwind. Mm -hmm. We have a certain amount of stresses that get embedded in certain ways, and they have their own way and their own uh, to to unwind. They didn't happen overnight. Right. So if I were, were to go in there and say, oh, look, that's not right. That shouldn't be there. I'm going to remove that or take that out. How do I know that's the right thing for mm -hmm. you? So my intention when I do these sessions is always that may it be for the highest good right. of the mind, body, heart, and soul like if I treat you, of Rick Archer. Hmm. You uh, wrote a chapter in a book that you just gave me called Thank God I, and um, it has like stories like Thank God I went to prison, and yeah. Thank God I you know, got hit by a truck or you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> that that, and yours was Thank God I, had, I died or had yeah. this near-death experience. Yeah, Thank God I died. Do you sometimes get the feeling that you know, you had this near-death experience for a reason, as if there were the powers that be, so to speak, said, all right, this guy has a has a great contribution to make as a healer, but first we've got to prepare him. So let's, like, have him die, go through this whole thing, <laughs> then he'll come back, he'll get rehabilitated, and I'm, I'm obviously putting this in, in you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. simple terms, but you feel like there was a sort of a destiny that you were meant to fulfill that... Um, this near-death experience was instrumental in helping you realize. Yeah, I didn't know it at first yeah. because the, this ability to do, do this, I, I, if I had it, I wasn't aware of it at the time. It took, took some number of years for right. that to unfold. Um, but once it started to unfold, it happened very, very fast. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I always used to think that my whole purpose of being was just to be, to be a human being. Mm -hmm and live and experience. Doing whatever, playing yeah, the drums. Whatever it is, you know, living your it's life. a great thing, you know, and I thought for the longest time that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. So it didn't matter, you know, what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, uh, then I finally did come to a point where I realized, ah, but I came back for, there obviously must have been a purpose, because why would you do that? Mm -hmm. 
wouldn't be any reason. If, if you're everything and all that, why do you choose to become very concentrated and, and uh, compressed into this form? Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I realized that, uh, there, and that really came as a result of this opening up of this, this healing thing. Like I say, I would have been fine to keep it all to myself, yeah. but I kept, it kept opening up and I thought, well, I'll just honor that. And I believe that back when the, then the experience, you know, I look back at, with Guru Dev, I feel a great connection with Guru Dev uh, all the time, mm -hmm. I mean a lot. And it's like, I think the reason he became present there was so that, and to help me let go of the past, so that I could move as deeply as possible into this experience to recognize that reality and come back, and then these things unfolded the way they did. Hmm. Uh, and I'm very, you know, easy with that. I don't push it. Try to, uh, you know, make something happen that I, I don't. I mean, you can't do any effort when you do this. It, it just has to be. Okay. It's interesting to think that, you know, Gurudev actually, you know, Swami Brahmananda Saraswati, this man who lived on Earth, actually came and did that because. Um, you know, first of all, some people in the kind of a enlightenment circles these days keep emphasizing the point that there really is no person, you know, that uh, we're just sort of this impersonal being and there is no one home, no one who speaks, no one who acts, no one who does anything. It's just speaking takes place, acting takes place, and so on. And then, you know, then others say that, you know, when an enlightened person dies, that's it. It's like a drop just going into the ocean and they no longer have any sort of identity to do anything or be anywhere uh, but you know in your experience you know out of the blue not really having you know you had got you'd learn meditation but otherwise you weren't fixated on Gurudev or anything well, all of a sudden this this guy comes to you and yeah and it wasn't just a photograph I mean it was right it's like the being the being so it's interesting to consider what's going on with that you know whether mm -hmm. there's um, you know whether that man that was that lived that life is actually functioning on some level and intermediating oh, yeah, yeah. in situations like this. And well, so. you know, in order for me to recognize it, it was in that form that he had been as a human being, mm. but he exists all the time, just like we all do. Mm -hmm. we, like what I realized from that little moment, that birth of consciousness, that oh, we always exist. That's it. Mm. There's never a time that we cease to be. Not only we as impersonal consciousness, but we as... Uh, unique expressions of that consciousness. So Thomas Gates, in some form or other, yeah. will always exist. I'll always be, yeah, mm. and you will too, and mm -hmm. everybody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so perhaps with Gurudev or, or others, there's some beings who can um, maybe, you know, that's a little more denser form of manifestation for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like when, once, once you're experiencing that really unbounded place, you don't really have much desire to manifest, you know, into something in a, more, a grosser form. Uh, I mean, why do that? But he is a very powerful uh, essence in creation. Mm -hmm. And there, and we can also. It's interesting that, you know, here we are. We're sitting on this couch right now, uh, and we're in this form in, in these bodies. Is this the only place we're existing right now? Interesting question. We we are right now existing in every single possible space and particle of the entire manifested creation hmm. right now. And sometimes in this life it happens that we can have experiences and we can cultivate the ability to have the experience of that, to be experiencing that. I've experienced uh, qualities of other people 
who had been here before who are not anymore physically in this form. But in that space of that, that broad essence, uh, that field of subtle creation, there's the identity mixed into that somewhere that can be more localized and, and yet on a very subtle level, not in the body form. Hmm. So you don't mean just we as, as you know, abstract impersonal consciousness exist everywhere in, in, in everything. You, you also mean we as a, as a sort of a, a flavor of some individuation exist in a much more expansive way. Yeah, but it, it, that individual aspect is like faint. Right. <laughs> Very faint. Sometimes it's a frequency, a vibration, yeah. a color, sometimes. Huh. But, you know, um, one of the reasons they also you know, know, know this about us existing in every particle is uh, when I had my near-death experience, uh, right before I left, actually I had this life review before I oh. left the body. <laughs> it was right before I yeah, left Yeah, you didn't mention that. A lot of people, yeah, lot of people say they have those things. I forget it all the time, and people say, how can you forget that? <laughs> so you like had this sort of, your life flashed before your eyes, so to speak, and you... Well, yeah. But when I had it, I didn't know I had it until many years later. I remember it was the it. only thing, it was like this thing that was occluded. Mm. And, and I know sometimes I would get, there was something start happening, and I'd get really uncomfortable. And I go, oh man, well there's something I don't know, what, what is this? And I knew it had to do with this overall experience, and, but I couldn't get there. It was too kind of scary, you know? And so one day I was watching a movie with a friend, uh, what was it called, Jacob's Ladder. Mm -hmm. And that movie did something to me. I don't know what happened. Every now and then a movie will do that for me. And, and I, I got up off the couch, and this was a VCR back then, so you know how I... There's there's this snow on the screen because the movies run out, and I just get up and I go over and I, I press the button on the TV to turn it off, and it was like an explosion, like, and instantly, it was like a giant curtain opening up, and here, in this moment, was the full experience of that life review that I had had back then, but it wasn't like a memory. It was of having had it. It was the experience. Wow. So it was almost like you relived the, re the life review. Yeah. And at this and point, there. I could handle it. Mm -hmm. I, I was so weak at that time that I'm not sure that I would have been able to mm. stick around. Which is probably why it was occluded. Yeah. 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 But what I experienced was like not so much like somebody, like this is your life. You, know, you remember the time you stole the pie off your mother's window <laughs> thing you know, like, or whatever it may be. You drove the car and crashed it and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> it was you. Um, but it was like very rapid, and what it was was like, yes, I was experiencing uh, the effect, in the end of it, the effect of every single thought and action that ever occurred in my life from the time, you know, at that point from the time I was born to the time of the near-death experience itself. The effect on whom? Of everything, on everything. On everything. On every person, everything. So if you had made people sad or... or you know, <clears throat> or made them happy or whatever, the, the, yeah, some every, total influence you yeah. had had. But that has to happen really fast. You know, yeah, otherwise you'd be within all, a all day. Moments, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm just standing there and my friend, uh, uh, but, um, but ultimately I realized that every single particle of possible creation we influence. Mm -hmm. Every living, breathing moment that we're here. And so that's overwhelming that that experience there 
brought me to my knees. Uh, and for three months, was it two, maybe two months, um, I couldn't do much of anything. I stayed at home. Really? I would like have these emotions. After that, yeah. After that, I, review. I would cry and everything. Like that. I just wow. all I that's all I could do. And I hear a song and I was, <laughs> and I, but I knew that this has something to do with completing something about that experience. Yeah. And I told my friends, just don't worry, leave me alone. Bring check me on, check on me now and then. But don't take me anywhere and don't let them give me any drugs or anything like that because this has to play itself out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it did. And when it did, I was man, I felt great. It was like a completion of something. Hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, I am here for a purpose. Oh. But I didn't know that I was going to do the healing thing that came later. Yeah. Huh. So I was going to ask, but you answered it. You know, what the purpose? What, what was the utilitarian value of this near life review but it seems like it was one more piece of the whole puzzle of why you had the whole near-death experience to begin with it, it was a necessary pur purging or unraveling of, yeah. of stuff processing well, yeah completion of some circle in a way hmm. and uh, so that's why I know that and uh, through other experiences as well is uh, that uh, you know we get we fall under this illusion of being separate because it looks that way. The detail that we have created here is so wonderful that we look at something like that piano sitting over there and that piano is that piano that's made out of wood and stuff and I'm over here and I'm made out of this other soft stuff and yeah. everything. <laughs> and I'm thinking, can't, can't that, get notes I, out of you. is that piano thinking? I don't know that for sure. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> it's thinking how dumb we are that we can't communicate with it. But, um, but I realize, you know, we're not separate, and there is actually no space between us and that. There and that's your actual experience when you look at the piano, or sometimes. is that just? A, it's not just a concept. It's sort of well, like. No, I understand it, but and sometimes I actually do experience there are moments it. when you can fall into these spaces where you do experience that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had that. To give you an example. Uh, one time I was in a restaurant here, a popular restaurant in town, very busy, a lot of people in there. And I'm all the way back in the back. It's a place called Revelations. It's a mm -hmm. big kind of long. And I was walking back from the one end of it, and I was all the way back there, but there's the doorway up there in the front. But I was experiencing being already up there at the door, and I was experiencing everything that was occurring there, but yet yeah, my body was, was here. Yeah, as if it was like a remote viewing kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's why, like, when I do the long-distance sessions, I can... I can um, uh, it's like the person is right there. Yeah. It's you're not. There's no distance. Hmm. Everything is connected that way. Interesting. Very easy. Where do you see this going in your life? I mean, it might be a silly question, and maybe you're just living too much in the now to answer such a question. But do you sort of have a sense of how the next decade or two are going to unfold uh, for you? Well, yeah. You know, I'm writing, and um, and also I um, I give. Uh, uh, you know, I do a lot of workshops. Mm -hmm. I, I do, and I even do online workshop now, where I can teach people uh, how to do this as a self-treatment, mm -hmm. and so they can do a, like a five-minute treatment and and cultivate that quality of coherence very quickly. And um, that's been a very, very positive thing. People using that a lot in, in their professional lives uh, as well. And then I train people also, uh, doctors, healthcare professionals, um, and anyone who really wants to learn this, but it's, they're especially uh, drawn to it, the doctors, um, 
training them how to actually do what I do in terms of treating yeah, others. Patients. Yeah. And they're incorporating that into their practices with, with very profound results. Yeah. So I see uh, expanding that more and more, and I'm also um, uh, working on a program now to uh, help um, business uh, executives, uh, more of a corporate type training uh, where they can learn the self-treatment and have their people learn that so that that can increase the coherence in the workforce hmm. and therefore their productivity. And have many people taken you up on that? Well, we're just putting that approach together. How about together. doctors? Have many doctors sort of? Doctors, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, Quite uh, a few? Uh, yeah, uh, I've got a neurologist, a psychiatrist. Um, we have a number of psychologists mm -hmm. practicing who really do uh, just get remarkable results with it. Interesting. Much much faster recoveries from intense trauma cases yeah. than uh, mm. normally would. And, and I also uh, want to work more with some uh, athletes too, because I, I have my favorite teams, you know, and the uh -huh. guy gets injured and I just feel so bad, like, oh man, we need him. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to just train him, you know, so uh, I've talked to a few of the trainers out there with mm. some of the pro teams and, and we're looking to uh, to, uh, to do that as well. So uh -huh. there are a lot of different possibilities and, uh, that, that we're doing. I have actually, um, now that I'm back in Fairfield, for now, anyway, uh, I've got courses coming up. Of course, you know, people will see this at all various times, so yeah. it's kind of time sensitive. They right. don't really know. We'll have a link to your website on backgap.com. Oh yeah, yeah. That's get. it's easy, you know, for people if they know my name, which is Thomas Gates. Mm -hmm. All they have to go is thomasgates.com. You do well for that. Yeah, okay. Thomasgates.com. There and there, people can find out uh, the different programs that I have. I have group uh, group sessions that I do twice a week for an hour that people can have. And you can have a free uh, sample uh, session. I do a group session. Um, people can have that. Cool. Various things that uh, it's a fun place to go and visit. And Great. Well, that's probably a good point to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so thanks. Uh, people will be, I'm sure you'll be hearing from some people. That, uh, that usually happens when I do these interviews, and it's someone who does something with others like you do. They, mm, yeah. they get, people yeah. get in touch with them. Yeah. So we've been speaking with uh, Thomas Gates. Um, my name is Rick Archer, and there are various ways in which you can view this show. So, you know, depending on where you're seeing it, um, check out batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P.com, and there you'll find links to a number of different things, and you'll also find all the shows we've ever done archived. And uh, the next show, I won't announce it because schedule keeps shuffling around, but I, I do one a week, and uh, you can get on an email list if you like and be notified when an, each new one comes out. Um, so uh, thank you very much. It's been nice uh, talking with you, Thomas. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. That'll bring you down to earth. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs>